Welcome back to the Magic Story Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie. And I'm your other host, Harless. We are in season five, which follows the story of the magic set, Wilds of Eldraine. Today is episode three, titled Two Great Banquets by K. Arsenal Rivera. And can I just say that this episode is all out fairy tale? It gave me everything I wanted from an Eldraine story. So if you're a fairy tale girly like me, you are in for a treat today. And for those of you who are might be just getting started with us, the Magic Story Podcast is where we recap the fiction story behind the card game Magic the Gathering. All of these fiction stories we talk about here are available on mtgstory.com. Wilds of Eldraine is taking us on a brand new adventure on the plane of Eldraine. Our characters, such as Kellen and Rowan Kenrith, are trying to reverse a curse that is putting the whole realm to sleep. It saved Eldraine from the Phyrexians. But they call it the Wicked Slumber for a reason, and we'll find that out a little bit more today. But it is obviously, again, one of those moments where Eldraine is not what it seems. Now, with all this said, Natalie, should we jump into today's episode? Let's do it. Join Join us as we head head into the the multiverse. multiverse. Before we jump in, I want to say really quick, we did a new thing this season where Natalie and I actually worked with our arena team to record audio versions of all of the stories in Wilds of Eldraine. And if you go to mtgstory.com, at the very top of each episode in Wilds of Eldraine, there is a link to a YouTube video that you can click play on and you can listen to one of us narrate that story for you. So if you are interested in reading the stories either before or after you listen to our recap, that is a great way to do so. It's a little bit less, um, it's a little bit less active, a little bit more passive. You can just listen to it while you're driving, while you're cleaning. Um, So you don't have to go and like read the full story on the web anymore. You can listen to the audio file. So go check that out if you're so inclined. Now it's up to our newfound young hero, Kellen, to hunt the witches who are responsible for the wicked slumber down and stop them. Last episode, Kellen had successfully destroyed the first witch, Agatha, who ate people, by throwing her into her own cauldron, which is pretty ironic and fun. This time, he's trying to track down Hilda, the ice witch, with the help of his newfound friends, Peter, also called the Wolf Knight, Ruby, and Imodane. And of course, Rowan Kinrith, after falling out with her brother Will, who is the king, is also searching for a cure to the wicked slumber as she meanders through the wilds, but she has consistently been led astray. Now, in a dream, her late father had asked her to go to Castle Ardenvale, Rowan's home castle that had been destroyed in the Phyrexian invasion and where her father and stepmother had died. So, That was where she was headed the last we saw her. So I am very excited for today's episode because we get to introduce to you all a new character we have yet to talk about on this podcast, but who has existed in magic for a while. I won't spoil anything yet on who that might be. We had said earlier that Rowan was on her way to Castle Ardenville after her dream last episode, and that is where we pick up today. Rowan is almost to Ardenville, staying at a tavern just outside the kingdom, and she's reading a letter that Will sent her. In the letter, he is clearly missing his sister, but he doesn't understand Rowan's quest. He doesn't understand what she's trying to do. And Rowan doesn't understand Will's stubbornness to remain king and not come with her. 
So the rift between the twins continues to grow. And Rowan doesn't end up responding to Will's letter. Instead, she sends back a blank page and a verbal message with the courier of, tell him to come find me if he's serious. And this is from the story. Rowan returns to her drink, seeing in it her reflection, the face that had so frightened Will at the mountain. It doesn't look so frightening to her. I love that line. I do too. I think it says so much. Now, Rowan continues on to Castle Ardenvel the next day. What remains of Ardenvel awaits the knight errant. A veil of mist lays over the hills and valleys, concealing the metal bodies beneath. If she takes a false step, she will tumble from her horse into a trench of Phyrexians. As she nears the castle, she sees more and more of the wicked slumber's violet swirl. By the time she stands at the shattered glass, she must take great care where her feet fall. Rowan uses a blast of lightning to open the gate. In other words, she's not even pretending to be careful anymore. Rowan is here with a purpose. And when she begins to climb the steps toward the palace, that is when she sees knights. Worthy they are, though their armor bears the patina of ill use, each as strong and stout as they had been last Rowan saw them. For she knows these helms, these suits of plate, these people. Her comrades stand with weapons at the ready. Worst of all, each one is bedecked in the slumber's mist. Like the strings of an unseen puppeteer, it rises from every limb and weapon. While the knights themselves do not move, the mist is more than canny enough to move them. An arrow fired by one of her former archery instructors misses her by a coin's breath. Must this war continue to take from her? Her chest aches. Rowan calls out to them, but these knights, who were once her teachers, her comrades, her friends, do not respond in kind. In fact, they come to life. Some sort of dark magic takes hold of them in their sleep, commanding them, turning them hostile. Her archery instructor begins the attack by firing that arrow at her, and then more knights rally behind him. Fighting is the only option, and it kills Rowan to do it. She hates that she has to fight these people, but she does. Using her spark magic as an advantage, she fights back against them. She also realizes while doing this that the slumber still keeps them limp, not fully awake. And I really can't imagine how difficult this must look. These half-limp knights being commanded like puppets while they sleep. The fact that they're asleep, that they're being commanded, is almost worse than Phyrexianization. That was my thought, too. Just... They're not even fully conscious or even aware of their own actions. These are completely innocent knights who are Rowan's friends that she had to walk away from once the Wicked Slumber took took over, you know, Castle Ardenvale. I can't imagine how hard this must be for Rowan, but her spark magic is incredibly effective against these quote-unquote foes. At first, Rowan is devastated to harm them, but then as she begins to surrender to the heat of the fight, she begins to feel thrilled by it. She'd like to deny it, but that is the truth of the matter. Even as she worries for her friends, she finds her blood singing with the melody this new powers brought her, and that, in turn, makes it easier to draw upon. No matter how often she tells herself that this is enough, she must keep from losing control. It's all too easy to do. When she finds her way to the top of the steps, the knights lay resting beneath her. She looks into the charred ruin that once was the castle. More knights await her inside the castle, but this time not in armor and not hostile. Instead, 
wearing their courtly grandeur and finery, as if this is some great ball. Sparks crackle in her hand as she prepares to finish them off. But the knights never attack her outright. Instead, they sweep her up into a silent dance that is half elegant, but also with blades. And actually, we'll just read you the scene. Instead of charging at her outright, they waltz toward her, some holding partners in their free hands. Even the terrible dancers move with uncanny grace through the ruins of Castle Ardenvale. Couples part only long enough to slice at her before returning to their strange dance. Dozens of knights press in, a swirling garden of the slumbering. Rowan cannot move without touching another. Her sword is wrested from her hand. Her breath catches in her throat. Indecision is a pillory. The crowd moves her along, each pair of dancers a cog. The swords are coming. She knows they are, but she has to find some way to get through. She reaches for the swaying veil with her free hand. Only for a pale white palm to press against her own. Welcome to the court of the ardent queen, Rowan Kenrith. And with this declaration, the dancing stops. Everyone drops to their knees in a kneel. The one who spoke still stands before Rowan, a being of strange and terrible beauty. Their face, hollowed like a chalice, studies her. Smoke rises from the pits where their eyes should be. A cruel mouth smiles as the figure inclines their head. We have been waiting for you. And this is Ashiok. Yay! Okay, Ashiok is so cool. So Ashiok is a planeswalker, a pretty prominent character in magic before, and not as a hero. In fact, I'd argue that they are one of the more villainous planeswalkers, sometimes even just called the Nightmare. Elspeth had a run-in with Ashiok not too long ago in the Theros underworld. And their power is that of fear, able to reach into someone's dreams and manipulate them, to summon forth the person's greatest fears into form. We had seen this just briefly, this really, really short scene back in March of the Machine, when Ashiok had manipulated Elishnorn's dream and summoned a figure of Elspeth to invoke fear in Norn. But that was our only glimpse into Ashiok in our last season. It wasn't clear, even, that it was Ashiok at the time. Now, Ashiok is a being of eerie beauty and dark, inky smoke. When looking at their Planeswalker card in the set, you really get this sense that they just are regal, I think is a really good word to describe Ashiok. They have this, like, uh, I love the description in the story where it says, like, the head is, like, shaped like a chalice almost, because, like, imagine you, like, cut a chalice in half. That's kind of the top of Ashiok's head like it makes this like big round yeah you don't see the eyes you don't really see the eyes or the forehead you only see the lower part of the mouth and it just is like eerie is such a regal and eerie is such a good term to to describe ashiok even ashiok's fingers are like like pointed and this like and like held out in such like a witchy way that reminds me of like ballroom dancing you like hold your fingers in like that almost specific way is like, it just makes them look so regal. And it's, it's very, very cool. So in Eldraine, when everyone is subdued to the wicked slumber, the entire plane is Ashiok's to control. So no wonder they're here. And also, yikes, this is not good news. No, it is not. 
and Rowan knows it. She reaches for her sword, but it had been taken from her by the knights. And that's when Rowan asks what Ashiok is doing here. But Ashiok's response is vague. They reveal that she has done magnificent work. And for Ashiok to call it magnificent, I'm a little scared at this point. Rowan thinks that Ashiok must be the one responsible for the wicked slumber. But in reality, Ashiok is just working alongside the person truly responsible. An ambiguous her lying beyond the veil. So Ashiok is kind of exploiting this person's work almost. Ashiok guides Rowan to stand in the very room she had seen in her dream, where her father and mother and family had been, where he placed the crown atop her head. The banquet hall is nothing like that of her dream. Instead of being full with her family and friends from before the war, all that resides now are the sleeping minions of Ashiok and slumbering knights pulled along like puppets. A feasting table sits at the head of the room, and in the throne is a beautiful woman in black. In one hand, she holds a glass apple with strands of translucent violets sneaking out of it, the same magical hue as the slumber that cursed the land. I love this take on the sleeping apple in the classic fairy tales, by the way. And we should also mention that this is Ariette, one of the three witches Talion wanted destroyed and that Kellen must hunt down. And I love the flavor text on this card. It says, hush now, I need your beauty sleep. I need your beauty sleep. Isn't that great? It's perfect. And we're talking about the card Ariette of the Charmed Apple. It is a black-white card. and. I, this is one of my favorite cards in the set. And you just see Ariette sitting in this kind of like worn down throne almost that's been overgrown by all of these dark vines. And you can tell that nature has kind of taken over Castle, Castle Ardenvale in, in, her, in her art. And she's just lying back in this throne and she has this pale white hair kind of all done up really elegantly. And she has this huge just collared mantelpiece of her dress that is all mirrors. So you see her reflection in this mantelpiece collar thing that's going around her neck. And then she's just holding this glass apple that's all swirled in violet. It's just such a cool, imposing, like beautiful, but very stark image of Ariette. It's it's very, very striking. And whenever I picture, whenever I picture the slumber, this is this is what I pictured was Ariette sitting in her throne with this, with this apple in her hand. It's just it's beautiful. Yeah. It, and the best part, in my opinion, about this this art is that, as Natalie mentioned, you can see her face reflected in her mirrors on her collar, her big collar. And the reflection that is given back to her is that of like an old crone. And Ariel yes. is like very young and beautiful. And so it's like revealing like who she probably really is underneath this glamour. Yeah, and no, it's, it's it's so, so cool. and it's then, so tasty. This this art purple, is just tasty. <laughs> <laughs> the purple from the app, the crystal apple, is just like so lazily like slinking down her arm, and it just provides a contrast against like the dark blues and blacks and grays in the in the photo itself. Anyway, it's absolutely beautiful. So Ariette, when we first meet her here, she's taunting Rowan, saying she looks just like her mother, and. Furious, Rowan wants to destroy Ariet right here, right now, but she controls herself. Did you call me here just to make sick jokes? She asks Ariet. The woman makes no move to stop her, 
nor even to stand. She sips from her goblet. Dear Rowan, I brought you here because I admire the fire within you. A knight is prepared to face all manner of weapons on the battlefield. Swords, pikes, arrows, hammers. What they are not prepared for, and indeed what Rowan has never trained against, is such disarming sincerity. Her grip wavers. What? Ariette goes on in this type of sympathetic tone to highlight all that Rowan has been struggling with. Her twin brother doesn't understand her. Everyone is afraid of her. Rowan has changed into something frightening and dangerous, all the while her pain, deep down, is unrecognized. Rowan hates that Ariette does truly see her. Sees beneath everything. It's unnerving. And Ariette reveals to Rowan here that she was responsible for the wicked slumber, that she unleashed the magic of her charmed apple in order to stop the Phyrexian invasion. The invaders had no hope of standing against something like this, Ariette goes on. I wanted to keep my people safe. That it spread to others is unfortunate. But even in that misfortune, I've discovered something beautiful. Would you like to know what that is? And Rowan, well, she relates to Ariette right here. As terrible as it is, Rowan isn't sure she would have done anything differently had she the power to stop the invasion in this way. So she agrees that, yes, she would like to know. Ashiok, if you would, Ariette says. And Ashiok summons Rowan's parents before them. Whole, proud, pure, alive. When Rowan goes to embrace them, they fade away like the dream they are. And Rowan realizes it had been Ariette and Ashiok who had been manipulating her dreams, who sent her here to Ardenvale. When Ariette said, you look like your mother, she didn't mean Lyndon, her stepmother. She meant Rowan and Will's real mother. My sisters have never been known for their wisdom, Ariette says, only their ambition. Your mother was the cruelest of us. Make no mistake, your father was right to strike her down, and Lyndon right in saving you. But that doesn't erase the magic in your blood, Rowan. Okay, so just to like take that back a second, we just found out that Rowan and Will's real mother is Ariad's sister? Yeah, I think we just found that out. <laughs> okay, so Rowan's father and stepmother likely kept this from her due to not wanting Rowan and Will to follow in their mother's footsteps, a.k.a. to become a witch, where from the sounds of it, their mother was maybe not the best person. My will is the same as yours, Rowan. I want to keep the realm safe. I want to lead it. I want power. Power to drive off threats. Power to secure my own future. With power, you can command loyalty, grow stronger, endure any challenge thrown your way. You've come to realize that, haven't you? And Rowan ponders this, thinking of her brother, comparing him to their parents who had earned their title as king and queen of the realm. Before coming here, Rowan thought the slumber was a curse, but now she sees what a blessing it can be. The realm's lost so much. Isn't ensuring that it stays whole the right thing, the gallant thing? And while her subjects slumber, she can see to their well-being. With an army of sleepers like this, they could unite the realm. They could turn the curse of their birth into something beautiful. You understand, don't you? The woman says. I knew you would. So 
Rowan asks Ariette if she could teach her to planeswalk again. And Ashiok responds, saying Rowan's spark is gone. But the rest of it, finding power, keeping her people safe, she can find with Ariette. And Rowan feels understood in this moment. So she stays. Okay, so a lot to unpack there. First is like the emotions of Rowan, right? She feels understood in this moment, so she stays. I think that what you just said is so accurate. Um, She just wants what's best for her people. And she thinks that Will is like, it's kind of becoming a little bit clear that maybe Rowan thinks that like she should be the one in power because she's the one that actually is going to go do something about it and isn't going to sit there at the castle and just respond to letters, which I mean, that's valid too. like both parts. Both parts are real in this this duty that Will is having to do right now. But Rowan clearly is starting to come to the the thought that maybe Will isn't the right person to lead, which is really interesting. Now, secondarily, Rowan has lost her spark. We just have that confirmed. We just confirmed. And we we had an inkling. We had a feeling because she tried to planeswalk earlier in this season and she couldn't. And she blamed it at the time of being distracted or that she couldn't focus on a like she couldn't focus. She couldn't focus on a faraway place. She kind of blamed it on other reasons. It wasn't for sure, for sure that she had lost her spark. Well, she blamed it on Will. And she also blamed it on Will. That's right. And now now we have confirmation that her spark is gone, just like just like Teferi's, just like uh, Nyssa from last season who had lost their spark at the end of the Phyrexian invasion, Um, like many, many other planeswalkers, apparently. So Rowan is one of those who has lost her spark. And we got confirmation that it wasn't just her being distracted or it wasn't Will's fault. The spark is gone. Yeah. Which is, that's got to be hard to swallow. Like now she's stuck here. She can't, she had mentioned earlier, like they had the whole multiverse at their disposal to help them figure out the sleeping curse. That's not true for her anymore. Right. And then finally, the worst part, right? Rowan is siding with Ariette and Ashiok, which... Ashiok. I mean, that's a twist, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like That's unexpected. Ariette, just looking at Ariette, we know she's not good, right? We know... We know she's at the very least not what she's what she seems based on exactly. her heart art. She's, she's giving... She, we know we can just... Feel. We have this gut instinct that she's she's shrouding Rowan in these false promises, right? She's saying exactly what Rowan needs to hear to to like to get Rowan to think on her side. And she I, Ashiok Ashiok is one of like we said it earlier. Ashiok is one of the more villainous planeswalkers that we have in magic. And there's a reason Ashiok is nicknamed the nightmare, you know, and, and so this is this is a huge twist, and I can't help but feel very scared for Rowan while also being angry at Rowan for doing this, but also understanding why she is doing this. It's just it was I my mind was running when I got to the end of this this part of the episode for sure. Oh yeah, lots to unpack. Okay, sorry, didn't right. mean to interrupt. Let's get back at it. It's all good. So from here, we actually transition back to our young half fay Kellen. He is in the midst of climbing a giant beanstalk. Led by a guide, he and Ruby have paid to help them. And this person's name is Troyan. So earlier, when they had first run across Troyan, he had carried a sign that said, Professional Wanderer and Adventurer. So Kellen and Ruby had assumed him trustworthy to help them up this beanstalk. But 
They're halfway up this beanstalk, and it turns out he's never climbed it before. But, lucky for them, Troyan is very confident in himself. I think that's an understatement. Um, Troyan is smug. There's really no other word for it. And I strangely just really like this character. I do too. He's, he's so fun and kind of silly. Like in that way that fairy tale characters can be where they're just like, I'm a product of my environment. Um, everything here is nuts. <laughs> Maybe I'm a little nuts too. <laughs> for sure. For sure. So anyway, they're, while they're climbing up this beanstalk, Troyan pulls out two potions and claims that these can help. So they've been climbing and they're not even like halfway. This this thing is giant, by the way. And there's a beautiful art piece from the set where it kind of puts it into perspective over how big this giant... When we say giant beanstalk, we mean like monolithic, meaning this thing is bigger than mountains. It goes up into the clouds themselves. And it's just humongous and this piece it's done by Lucas Graciano and it is it you can see the valley beneath all of them and this giant beanstalk kind of dominates half of the half of the piece that you can see here and you can see Troyan and Ruby and Kellen and they're just so small and they're climbing higher than the mountains in in the background so it just kind of it gives you a really good perspective over how big this beanstalk is and so Obviously, they're starting to re- wonder whether they can even make it to the top. And and Kellen actually thinks to himself here, being a hero isn't all it's cracked up to be, which I just I just chuckled. Um, Kellen, Kellen just continues to be so endearingly young. I, I hope that's yeah. the, I hope that's the right term. It's just so endearing. And so Kellen, with Ruby in tow, make it to sort of like a leaf where Troyan had stopped before, where he had kind of produced those two potions. And without thinking it through all that much, Kellen just takes the potion and guzzles it. And here he turns into a frog. And I'll read to you the story so you can see. His tongue is the first thing to change. Tingling gives way to a stretching sensation, and soon it rolls out of his mouth like a knight's unfurled banner. Next comes his skin, oozing and slick, then a sort of pent-up energy in his legs. When he opens his mouth, all that comes out is a greasy croak. Kellen chuckles. Pretty cool, huh? Don't worry, it's only temporary, Troyan says. He gestures to the open air above them. Go on, jump. Just make sure to mind the landing. Ruby's hand crests the leaf. Kellen helps her up. On seeing his now bulbous eyes, his lolling tongue, she starts... What did you do to my friend? She asked Troyan. Ruby, don't worry, I'm fine, Kellen says. He smiles to drive home the point. I think maybe we can jump all the way up if we drink these. Ruby squints at them both in turn. You're asking me to believe a lot there. So Ruby very smartly decides that they should hold on to the other vial just in case for now. And instead, she'll just hold on to Kellen as he jumps the last of the way up that big beanstalk. Ruby asks Trillian if he's Fae, which would explain the magic potions he just happens to have in his bag. But Trillian just laughs and says, pay me a little more and perhaps I'll tell you how I found them. And then Kellen, feeling light and alive and free, leaps towards the sky. Bubbles of swamp water spring from his feet, propelling them higher and higher. A rivet hits his ears only after they've broken through the clouds. And I'm sorry. I just had to, I chuckled. I, I had to laugh because I'm imagining Kellen frog form 
All right. Like I'm just imagining Kellen half frog jumping up and riveting in joy as he does. This. It was just, <laughs> I know. Uh, just I chuckled. It was it was so it was a really cute scene and ridiculous. I loved it. <laughs> This is everything I want from Eldraine, right? Like it's a fairy it's just, potion that turns you into a frog. Like, yes, please. Perfect. That's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so once they break through the clouds, they approach a moonlit castle at the top of the beanstalk. And this place is called Stormkeld. And the castle is described as a brutal, towering facade. And Stormkeld is, as you've probably guessed it by now, is home to giants. Like, giants. Their architecture is so huge, Ruby says, we must be like mice to them, coming to steal all their food. It's nighttime, at least, so Kellen suspects that they can sneak in and find the mirror that they are... Remember that this was... Uh, Talion had instructed them to find the, the mirror to tell them where to go next. And this is where the mirror is, is on the top of this giant beanstalk. And he's hoping that they can sneak in and find this mirror without the giants noticing them. Troyan catches up to them halfway through walking the courtyard. And right here, an quote-unquote earthquake hits them as they get closer to the castle. But Troyan points out that it's not an earthquake. It's the giants waltzing. Waltzing? Kellen has no idea what that is, but he caught his mother and Ronald turning in wide steps around the house once. Maybe it's like that. And I just love that Kellen is still so young, he has no idea what waltzing is. And he's never been outside of Orangeshire. And like how much waltzing happens in Orangeshire? Probably Probably not not a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Further they walk to the threshold itself. A great gate that opens only for the most miniature beings on the beanstalk. Beneath the wooden ceiling they pass. The world that awaits them on the other side would beggar any king of the realm. Beautiful marble arches higher than any parapet. A dome of morning sky overhead boisterous music that thrums in their lungs, and gilded goblets holding wells full of wine. Most striking of all are the giants themselves. Whether clad in gambeson and mail or taffeta gowns, they make a handsome sight. And a strange one, if all the rumors of giants are to be believed. Shouldn't they be doing giant things? Ruby asks. Though she's shouting, it's hard to hear her over the music. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Shouldn't they be doing giant things? I love Ruby. I love Ruby. Sorry, sorry. She just says it like it is every time, every time. (laughs) Maybe these are giant things, Kellen said. When the quakes come, he hops along with them. In the back of his mind, he wonders if his father has wings, if he'll have them too when he gets older. He hopes so. So the giants haven't noticed them yet, but now Kellen, Ruby, and Troyan have to traverse across a giant room filled with giants dancing. And to hear Kellen describe their dancing, it's not good. There's a pattern, but they're not elegant about it. This whole scene of Kellen and Ruby and Troyan dodging out from beneath haphazard giant footsteps, I really wonder if this is what insects feel like on the daily. So, Anyway, they finally reach the stairs on the other side. Troyan scales up the first giant step, which is more like a cliff to them. So like this is just a step in their in their giant room. But this is like a cliff to Kellen, Ruby and Troyan. And then Troyan drops a rope for Ruby and Kellen to climb up. They keep doing this pattern, going up each step one at a time, each of them treacherous. And halfway up the steps, they come across a goose. Okay, I don't know if any of you have ever had a run in with a goose. 
but geese are mean. <laughs> they hiss at you. Like they have like actual kind of terrifying teeth sort of in their beaks. Yeah. And they're mean. They're aggressive. And, you know, in, in the Seattle area, in like in Washington, there's definitely those Canadian geese that come through every year and they migrate right through this area. And if you're ever walking in a park in, in the Washington area, it just give them a wide berth because <laughs> they yes. get mean. You do not want to come across a goose. <laughs> no, they're they're truly a cruel being. And Kellen kind of feels the same way that I do about geese. So I'm just going to read this part from the story. Years on the farm have hardened Kellen's heart to these blasted creatures. He loves near everything and everyone that draws breath in the realm, except geese. And with good reason. The local geese are the only things that trouble him as much as the local bullies. Perhaps the geese are worse. And what's worse than a goose his size? A goose the size of his family's market cart. The goose, festooned in gold, waddles down the steps ahead of its owner, who, by her raiment, must be the lady of the house herself. And while the giants may not take notice of them, the goose does, honking a horrible honk, locking eyes with them as they crest another step. And Kellen knows they have to run for their lives. They do, or they try to, until the giants finally notice them and Kellen is picked up by two fingers pinching the back of his cloak. So Kellen tries not to look down into the terrifying maw of the goose's mouth snapping up at him from below. And instead, he fixes his gaze to remain as brave as he can on the giant now holding him up from like the back of his shirt. She sneers at him when he tries to blubber out an apology for intruding and that they're just they're just seeking the magic mirror to ask it a question. This giant, the Lady Baluna, is affronted, thinking they're lying to her on her birthday. Happy birthday, Kellen blurts. And may I remind you, he's still dangling in the air, being held up by Baluna between her two fingers. <laughs> Just, I, <laughs> I, I chuckle every time I remember that. And there's a goose snapping at him from below. So let's also not forget that. I don't need to hear it from you, she replies. Another giant interrupts them. This time, it's Lord Yorvo, the giant king. He's smaller than Baluna, with a beard made out of plants, and a much kinder demeanor than Baluna. That looks rather like a young man, says the king. You aren't planning to feed any small folk to your goose on your birthday, are you? You can't be that in need of golden eggs. He means to steal the mirror, she protests. And as it is my birthday, I think it's right I decide what to do with him. But instead, Yorvo turns to Kellen and asks his side of the story. And Kellen says he's on a quest from the Fey Lord and needs the assistance of the mirror to get further. And at this time, the giant king considers them his guests. And Baluna, though begrudgingly, agrees to help them at this point. She brings Kellen and his friends up the stairs. She can navigate the space much easier and quicker than they can, after all. And into a bedroom where the mirror stood, setting them down right in front of it. They all turn to this mirror and Kellen approaches its reflection. The boy he sees there, cloaked, already a little leaner from travel, seems larger than the boy he was only a few weeks ago. More like a hero. Oh, great mirror, he says. Where can I find the witch Hilda? And nothing happens. Womp womp. Womp womp. <laughs> Baluna says that they have to offer the mirror something it doesn't already know. 
It's like a tax. Information isn't free. So this is when Troyan steps up and announces, Mirror of Indralon, my name is Troyan, and I wasn't born here in Eldraine. So this information obviously shocks Ruby and Kellen, but the magical mirror begins to work. It shows them a wintry fog, and beneath it lies a castle of ice resting atop a rocky cliff. Ruby says she knows of that place, Loch Laurent, but it wasn't always enclosed in such an icy, wintry grip. How'd she build something like that so fast? Ruby wonders. I don't know, says Kellen, but if you'll lead the way, maybe we can find out. And that ends the episode. It's such a cool way to end because it like it's going to lead us right into the next story so nicely. Yep. You can tell what's happening next. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Troyan is I love Troyan. He's so fun in the story. He's just so like charming and kind of. I don't know. He does seem like he's not of this world, right? Like he seems he like does. he's not of Eldraine. Yeah, he seems well traversed and a little arrogant, but more in like the endearing way, like not coming yeah. off abrasive, but more in like, you should probably trust what I'm saying, you know, because I've, I've it's like a confidence, not an arrogance. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Confidence. He's definitely very confident in himself. And he didn't, you know, like, I mean, I know that Ruby and Kellen are paying him, but I feel like what he's done, he's gone above and beyond a little bit for them. So he kind of sees them as friends now, I think at this point, um, which is, and I, and I love his character. I can't wait to see um, Troy in a little bit more. Also, there were so many fairy tale tropes in this episode. I just loved it so much. I mean, we got a beanstalk with giants. We had a goose that lays golden eggs. We had what we else had did we have? Animated dan- like these animated knights from the Sleeping Curse dancing in the ballroom, which gives me like so many yeah. vibes of other other fairy tale things that I love. Um, we had uh, a frog potion. <laughs> We magic had a frog potion, potion. That Kellen into got a turned frog. into a frog. <laughs> I, I, I need a picture of Kellen's frog form. I, I so need a picture of Kellen's frog form. Um, we also had the sleeping apple um, with Ariette's um, like yes. the, the sleeping curse. And we found out that Ariette was responsible for the wicked slumber from her apple that put everybody to sleep. It's just, it's such a cool take on all of our classic fairy tales that we know and love. And, and it, it's just so cool seeing it kind of, respun and redone in Eldraine. Um, and also, let's not forget, we met Ashiok this episode. Ashiok. Which is huge. Yes. Yes, that's going to be... I'm so excited that Ashiok is back. Ashiok is a really big fan favorite of Magic. And... We have um we have some cosplayers that do Ashiok and I am always so amazed by it because literally part of Ashiok's it's head so is good. like not there, right? And so uh all the cosplayers have to create this like illusion of like smoke where their head should be. And the way that they do it is just absolutely incredible. I'm always just like so impressed it's, by it's it. It's so impressive. Yeah. And so yes. I can't wait to uh, maybe that's the wrong term. I'm very intrigued. <laughs> I'm a little scared. <laughs> On what Ashiok the Nightmare is going to do when the whole realm is asleep. You know, this is this is not that's a lot of power for Ashiok. Yeah. Yeah. And Rowan. Oh my gosh, Rowan girl, what are you doing? I want to shake some sense into you, girl, but I also get it. I do. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's like, you know, it's so understandable 
but it's also like you're just watching her walk into what feels like a trap and a there's trap. like that it saying like trap. yeah th- there's that saying that's like if you think you're in a trap you're already in one or if you think it might be a trap you're already in one I feel like yep. that's Rowan right now um yep, but Rowan sure. is smart Rowan is capable you know maybe maybe we should trust Rowan or not I don't know we'll have to see as always you can read these stories and many more at mtgstory.com and This time, you can also listen to the stories and the YouTube videos that are at the top of the pages. We are also on pretty much all podcast platforms, Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you just got started with us today, welcome to Magic Story. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. We read all of them and we appreciate you all so much. Also, the Wilds of Eldraine magic set is out there right now. We will see you soon in our next episode where Kellen continues on his quest to Hilda's icy castle. But until then, have a magical day. day.